Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is saying, I'm sorry. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. This somewhat follows our other two previous podcasts of failure being the first. Right. And then confession and forgiveness. Yep. Because often an apology or some sort of saying I'm sorry should maybe follow. Could. Could. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is mostly something I think you wanted to talk about. It's so true. And I want to take a moment and kind of dedicate this podcast. Sure. (laughs) To Lioness. She is a friend of mine who I met through Rose City Rollers. Okay. And so that's her skating name, her derby name. And she's a local professional here in the area. And about two and a half years ago, she put a post on Facebook about how women often say I'm sorry as a reflex. Oh, I totally do this. And I think this came up in passing in one of our previous podcasts. It may well have. And it was something that has stayed with me enough that I try to do it less. And when my daughter reflexively says, I'm sorry, 10 times, I'm like, my dear, that is meaningless and unhelpful. And it's not even just that it's meaningless and unhelpful. So it takes away from the power of an apology. Mm -hmm. But what I find is that it puts the individual who reflexively says, I'm sorry, onto taking ownership of things that are not theirs to own. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything that that was the incredible piece for me to recognize. So what Lioness had posted was just this kind of reflection that she noticed that people said sorry when they shouldn't and that she was going to very purposefully stop doing that. Okay. And only apologize for things when she had broken her own sense of morals or ethics. And I thought, wow, that's really incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And I started listening to myself and catching when I would say I'm sorry by reflex and recognized that it's just everywhere. It's so common and so much a habit to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I think I'm remembering now where it came up. I think it came up when we were talking about grief Mm -hmm. and death. Very possibly. saying I'm sorry when somebody else. Yeah had somebody who had passed away. Yep. And that's such a common, like if someone has some kind of a grief or a major event happen and all of a sudden you can just watch on Facebook and it's fascinating now that my eyes are open to it. You can watch everybody just posting, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And you're taking responsibility for something that is not yours. You have no ownership. There's no apology needed. You haven't broken any boundaries. You haven't broken your ethics. You haven't broken your morals. You haven't done something you shouldn't. It's not yours to own. And so that just blew my mind open to watching for this and recognizing that part of an apology, part of saying sorry is owning an action that goes against who you want to be. Okay. And nothing more than that and nothing less than that. So for the last two years, I have been actively working on only saying I am sorry when I really mean that I have broken my values and have caused intentional or unintentional harm to another human being or creature or situation. And it's amazing once you have that revelation 
because you opened my eyes the same mm-hmm. way the lioness did for you, that you start seeing it around you and in yourself. Everywhere. Go into the grocery store and really start listening. You know, when you're in an aisle in the grocery store and two people walk by each uh-huh. other. And I'd say half the time, the women who are there will say, oh, I'm sorry, when you try to go by them. And what are you sorry for? You're taking up space in this world. And that's a good thing. Why do you need to apologize for being in a place and doing the tasks that you're doing? There's no need to apologize for that. Part of it is I feel that it's a thing women do more. And Mm -hmm. it's a thing that makes it seem submissive, Mm -hmm. which I find frustrating. And I think that it's part of our culture that has created this comfort with women apologizing. Mm -hmm. And so it goes farther. And I'm, I actually just stopped myself from saying something because I was going to pseudo apologize for having this opinion, which I don't need to apologize (laughs) for. Right. And so it's live in the moment there where I'm just going to stop myself and censor that thought and say, I was at a conference last week. I was at a professional conference for ethicists. And I noticed as people were giving their feedback on a document, a pretty substantial document Mm -hmm. about women and power, that the women who were speaking to give their feedback oftentimes began their phrases with, well, I just want to say, and it's almost like it's a hidden apology. Like, I'm sorry I have this thought, Mm. but I just want to say that this line doesn't actually approach the situation in an appropriate manner. And when the men would offer their thoughts on the document, they would say, line such and such is an inappropriate use of such and such a concept. Interesting. And I listened to it over and over and over again. And I didn't bring it up within the context because I didn't think that it was necessarily fitting within the context, but I tucked it away for this podcast to say it's not just that we say I'm sorry for things that we don't need to apologize for. But we apologize for having opinions. Mm -hmm. We apologize for setting boundaries. We apologize for saying something that is counter to the rest of the room and what the rest of the room thinks. And we don't need to do that. No Mm -hmm. one needs to do that. If it doesn't break with your morals and your values and doesn't cause intentional or unintentional harm to others, then what is there to apologize for, for having a perspective, a unique perspective that could make the world a better place? And on the flip side, you often do not get an apology where there needs to be one. Absolutely. Instead, then, because it is such a flippant thing that gets tossed off into everywhere, when a genuine apology is actually needed to look someone in the eyes and say, I am sorry. I did some action against who I want to be, and it caused you harm. And I am sorry for that. And so anyone who has heard those words from me in the last two years, it has been a genuine... A heartfelt apology. apology And a, a genuine reflection that I did wrong. I messed up. I made a mistake. And I harmed someone. And the times that that has happened, it has been so empowering to own that apology and to own those words because then I'm actually saying them with full intention and I'm not hiding from my mistake and I'm not trying to back down from where I screwed up. I'm just stepping forward into it and saying, yep, I royally buggered this up. 
and I caused harm. And I am sorry for that. And so not only is it that I am no longer apologizing for things that aren't mine to apologize for, Mm -hmm. I'm owning my own apologies more effectively. And they, to me, they mean more. I enter into them with less self-defensiveness, with less need to put blame on others. And it gives me the opportunity to be held accountable and to actually make certain that I don't take that action again. Do you have a format for an apology? No. One thing, though, is that Lioness and others have come up with suggestions on what to say when you're not saying I'm sorry in a flippant way. Oh, that would be helpful. Because that's really hard, right? So to just slow down and not say those things is one thing, but then to know what to say. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to the formula about you how to it. apologize when meaning it. So the things that I've been saying instead are, I am sad the world is this way. Okay. Instead of, I'm so sorry that you're feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. I wish the world was different is another good one. Instead of, I'm sorry you're experiencing this. Mm-hmm. I wish the world was different. When it comes to grief kind of stuff, I will say, I'm standing with you in your grief. Okay. I'm praying for you in your grief. I hear your grief and I'm sad. Or I am sad with you that you've had this loss. It's more truthful and descriptive for one thing. It is more truthful, more descriptive. It's also hard (laughs) because I don't want it to sound like it's about me, right? I don't want someone to think that I'm owning their grief. But at the same time, I'm not just going to say I'm sorry that your dog died, Mm -hmm. right? It's I am sad that your dog died and this is really hard. Mm -hmm. And I see your grief And if I can be helpful in any way, please let me know. Mm -hmm. And all of that is genuine. It affirms their experience. And it doesn't take ownership of something that isn't mine to take ownership of. I've begun calling people out on saying sorry to me when they've done nothing wrong. And I try to not do it in a mean way. I do that to my daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she says sorry so many times in a row. I'm Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, that's not really the point, honey. Mm -mm. And it's not that you don't want them to recognize if they have done something that's caused harm. Like, it's one thing to teach kids, yeah, you caused harm in this. Mm -hmm. And so you can apologize for that. But if I'm running late and I'm tired because I didn't go to bed at a good time and I didn't get up at the right time, that has nothing to do with the preteen in my house, right? Mm-hmm. And teenagers and preteens can overly take on because they're not in that developmental space. They're still thinking a lot is about them. <laughs> and that <laughs> all right, is about them. Right. And that they really do impact everything happening in their world. Mm-hmm. And so helping teenagers understand that they are not culpable for the world, you know, the sun rising and the, the moon rising and breakfast being on the table like that's not their responsibility and it's not their fault if it's not there unless they were the one who said they were making breakfast that Uh morning and then yes then it is their fault and they need to apologize right but helping to model that for preteens and teenagers especially who are in that kind of awkward phase of understanding what is personal culpability and that phase of detaching themselves from their parents Mm -hmm and learning personal culpability. And then we get to teach them how to apologize for real. Then what does it mean? I Mm -hmm. don't need you to apologize 
that my coffee isn't right because the barista overheated it because that has nothing to do with you. I do need you to apologize because you said that you would be making coffee this morning and you chose not to. Mm -hmm. Right. And that kind of thing can help. Maybe, I mean, can we hope that teaching them now would mean that they don't have this in their bones when they're our age? I hope so. I'm trying. I mean, that's the hope is that we raise young people to not have these same kind of challenges that we have. Learn from my mistakes. Right. If we have a culture where people are not apologizing for things that they don't own, but instead are actually owning their own mistakes, then maybe we get away from this culture where people have to say, hashtag me too, Mm -hmm. because people are owning their mistakes. And victims aren't feeling like it's their fault that they have to apologize for bringing things forward. Mm -hmm. So that's my soapbox. This is a a really big deal to me because I'm tired of seeing minority people feel as if they have to apologize for their very existence. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of being a part of a culture that, that expects makes that, that. That expects it. Yeah, exactly. That expects that. And when I run into a woman at Winco, and you know how when you go grocery shopping, you run into the same mm-hmm. person every other row? Mm-hmm. I ran into a woman at Winco a couple months ago who apologized to me every single aisle. And then apologized like I was behind her in the checkout line. And she apologized to the cashier person probably 10 times in the space of three minutes. And my heart just broke for her because all she was doing was apologizing that she existed. And she was a beautiful child of God created and intended for this moment in this time. And she had nothing to apologize for. And I think this really matters. I think this really, really matters. I think you're right. So I had asked earlier about a format for apologies because in my quest to not have my children apologizing for nothing, Mm-hmm. My husband has decided that there is a good way, a correct way to apologize. And that is to say what you did wrong, Mm -hmm. say I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. and say how you're going to change it and do better in the future. Intimidating. Yes. Prescriptive. Yes. And maybe a solid foundation. There are parts of it that I very much like. I very much like them knowing exactly what the problem was Mm -hmm. and acknowledging it. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, saying how you're going to change your behavior in the future is good. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure it's as cut and dry as all that. It's not, but it's a start maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think that if that work can't be done kind of publicly sometimes when we've broken our morals or values we can't necessarily approach the individual or it's not safe to approach the individual for whom the harm has been caused or those kinds of pieces for various and sundry reasons so maybe that work can also be something that is done privately Mm -hmm. and written about or talked about with a therapist or talked about with a safe and confidential source Mm -hmm. until you figure your way through it. Because I think one of the pieces of finding your way to a true apology is that it takes a ton of vulnerability to do it. Oh, sure. And some spaces are not safe spaces to be vulnerable in. 
Well, that's the interesting part of this whole thing is it's all family based at this point. Right. So hopefully there's no expectation that they're going to use the same format with a teacher or somebody else out in the real world or the bully. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can feel the call to apologize for hitting someone when you've done it in self-defense, that you still wish that you could be a different person and have responded in a different way. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you go up to the bully and apologize for self-defense? Nope. Don't have to do that. (laughs) No. Right? I could see myself engaging in a self-defense tactic, but then talking perhaps to my therapist about, I wish I hadn't gotten into that situation in the first place. Sure. And I am sorry that I let my emotions take me to such a place that I ended up in a situation where I felt the need to use self-defense in that. Or if I have taken a promise to myself of being a nonviolent reactor, that when I react in self-defense with violence, then I need to find a way to process that and apologize to myself for breaking my own vow of Mm nonviolence. But I don't need to take that apology necessarily to the person who's caused harm to me. So, I mean, it's like forgiveness. In our conversation about forgiveness last week, it's so much more complex Oh, yes. Than just simple cut and dry. We can say simple cut and dry. These are the ways to learn it. But it's always going to get messier and it's always going to get more gray. I think about Paul's writings this way. And in some ways, that's kind of like your husband's outline of how to do an apology. Uh In my last call, there was a preschool in the building and the kids were, you know, three to five. Uh And they were learning things like how to cut Cut right. and paste, How sure. to use scissors and how to sit in a circle and sit still and how to enter into a room with many people. And they were learning like the very basics of these kinds of social structures. And so every rule was really, really clear, right? Uh-huh. It was very specific. They needed to enter in this door and hold their person's hand as they walked, not ran, down the hallway and put their belongings in the plastic garbage bag outside the hall that was underneath their name tag and all the very clear rules, which by the time you get to first grade, maybe you don't have to hold your tall person's hand walking down the hallway. It's still walk, don't run. Still walk, don't run, right? And there's a rule about it. It's not just a common understanding about it, Mm -hmm. right? And you still have an assigned seat to go to, and you still have an assigned place to hang your coat. But the rules have gotten a little bit looser. And then by the time you're in high school, or let's say, let's look all the way to grad school, Mm -hmm. right? At that point, you arrive in the class however you arrive. You sit where you want to sit, Right. The rules have loosened up because you've moved on through the different levels of school. Well, Paul's writings in the New Testament can often feel very much like preschool writings. Okay. Right. You will do this as a person of faith. You will do this. You will not do this. But that's the age that the church was when he was writing. Sure. It didn't have centuries of experience, and the people didn't have decades of knowledge of how to live in this different faith structure, this different moral structure. He was speaking to people who had never received their morals from their faith before. 
because morals were not faith-based in the Roman culture for the Gentiles. That's fascinating for me to think about. And so he had to be really, 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 really clear so people could learn the very basics of this. And so when we start to learn how to apologize, to have a really prescriptive, like, I am going to say what it is that I did wrong in mm-hmm. points A, B, C, and D. And then I'm going to say the words, I am sorry for, and then I am going to articulate how it's going to change, right? Maybe in a, once you're accustomed to that pattern, then you can start loosening that pattern. Mm-hmm. And you move forward and kind of open it up and let it be a little more gray, a little less prescriptive, and that's okay. But it takes time to learn the basics. It definitely does. So my prescriptive is, don't say I'm sorry for things that don't belong to you. (laughs) (laughs) So you brought up the hashtag me too. And I think we've all seen some pretty spectacularly bad apologies (laughs) in the past couple of weeks and months. Mm. And I was listening to a podcast Not too long ago, and one of the commenters on the podcast brought up somebody's line about onomatopology. Do you know what an onomatopoeia is? That's where it sounds like what it is that you're saying, right? And they sound like apologies, but they're not really apologies is kind of what it is. And the one that really springs to mind, the one where I'm like, seriously, that's how you're going to apologize, happens to be the one Mario Battaglia, who... In the end of his apology, through a recipe, because he just can't not be that guy. I'm like, really? That's not an apology. It's an onomatopology. Onomatopology. But it's not an apology. Wow. And that's, I think, especially when we're out of practice, if we've never practiced giving an apology. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of pressure to not take public accountability for mistakes, because then you're going to get sued and someone's going to take you for all your worth. Yeah, and yet, can no, I'm not you saying just it's, own your mistake? Right? I'm not saying it's ethical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't break morals and values. I'm just recognizing that we don't have any practice taking ownership and accountability for our mistakes because our culture doesn't tell us how to do that. Our culture tells us how to get out Yeah. Of taking accountability. The least of us are over-apologizing, and the most of us are not apologizing when we should. Totally. It's so opposite of what it needs to be. Yes. And what it could be. Mm -hmm. What it should be. Yes. Okay, then that brings us to last question. What is something you wish you hadn't apologized for? You know, I typed that question an hour ago, and I still haven't come up with a good answer. (laughs) Um, Something that I wish I hadn't apologized for. Probably all the times that I have told people I'm sorry for the loss of their loved one. Yeah. Because I wish that I could have entered into that in a different way to validate their grief and to honor them without using the words I'm sorry and cheapening those words. Okay. And I wish that I had learned before two years ago to be able to say things like, I hear you. Or... I am so sad with you or I see your grief and it's really hard because I think that that pulls me into a different place of participation than just tossing off that. I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. My prayers are with you. And it's not that I didn't mean like I value you and I see you and I wish you were grieving. 
that's what that meant, but it didn't portray that. Mm -hmm. It didn't offer those words. And so I think that that would be what I would regret apologizing for the most and appreciate perhaps the most learning how to be in a room and validate someone's grief and validate the pain someone's in without owning it for them. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about saying I'm sorry. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And good luck, everyone out there, recognizing your own sorry patterns. It would be fascinating to hear from you how this impacts you. You can write to us at podcast at centralportland.org, leave a message on our Facebook page, and we would always love to see a review on iTunes. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.